January 1984, the NFL's Manhattan offices. The most powerful man in American sports sits alone at his desk. A lit cigarette bellowing smoke rests on an ashtray and steam rises from a hot cup of coffee. But Commissioner Pete Rosell ignores both. In his meaty hands is a 46-page document. The cover reads, Spending the USFL Dollar. This better be good, Roselle thinks. Hell, we paid a Harvard professor big bucks for it. The professor's assignment? Tell the NFL how to end this annoying USFL problem. Roselle looks toward the door, which is open just a sliver. He barks to his secretary stationed outside. No calls, no interruptions. I need an hour of alone time. Okay, Mr. Roselle. He turns to the first page which features a single quotation plucked from Sun Tzu's military strategic epic, The Art of War. He reads the line aloud. To conquer the enemy without resorting to war is the most desirable. Huh. Interesting. As he flips the pages, Roselle feels his shoulders relaxing, his jaw unclenching. Pure bliss. Point by point, the business professor explains how the NFL can take a samurai sword to the head of the USFL and end this so-called rival league once and for all. Roselle reaches for his phone in excitement and calls his close friend, Art Modell, who owns the Cleveland Browns. Art, Art, I've just gotten the Harvard report on how we're going to take down the USFL. It's brilliant. Roselle thumbs through to the pages he's marked up. Listen to this. Send undesirable players to the USFL, any that are problem players or overvalued. That's smart. That helps on a few fronts. And then we encourage the USFL to unionize and steal their biggest stars. (laughs) These are pretty bold suggestions. Wait, there's more. We move up our college draft in order to compete with the USFL's draft. They thought they had that one over on us. Not so fast. Roselle rattles on, listing tactic after tactic to bring down the USFL. Normally reserved, Roselle is giddy. A few weeks later, 65 NFL executives gather inside a large New York City conference room to hear a presentation on the report. Afterward, as the men leave the room, they laugh and slap each other's backs with enthusiasm. For far too long, the NFL has kicked back and watched the USFL take its best shot. Now, it's time for the bully to take action. Now, it's time to swing away. This episode is brought to you by Decoy, an acclaimed winery in the Duckhorn portfolio. Make the holidays memorable when you give the gift of wine country with Decoy Wines. Established more than 30 years ago by legendary vintners Dan and Margaret Duckhorn, they craft their wines to the highest standards using grapes from exceptional vineyards. Ask for Decoy Cabernet Sauvignon, Pinot Noir, or Chardonnay wherever you buy wine, or visit decoywines.com celebrate to find all of their wines near you. Getting paid up to two days early with direct deposit is another reason banking with Capital One is one of the easiest decisions in the history of decisions. Even easier than deciding to listen to another episode of your favorite podcast. 
And with no fees or minimums on checking and savings accounts, come on, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank. Capital One N.A. Member FDIC. From Wondery, I'm David Brown, and this is Business Wars. In the last episode, we learned Donald Trump's real reason for purchasing a USFL team to use the new league to land himself an NFL franchise. Talking his way into the exclusive league hasn't worked, so Trump has a new strategy. This is Episode 5, The Empire Strikes Back. Trump decides his next best shot for getting into the NFL is to get the USFL to shift from playing in the spring to the fall. That way, the USFL will directly challenge the NFL. He's convinced this will force the NFL to either merge with the USFL or to gobble up USFL franchises, including his own. Trump tells his fellow USFL owners that the NFL is terrified of them. And he's right. The USFL has signed away the last two Heisman Trophy winners and has stolen dozens of NFL stars. The new league's willingness to throw around dollars has blown up pro football's once steady salary structure. And the USFL's action-packed games make the NFL appear stale. Through sheer will, bullying, and ceaseless lies and exaggerations, Trump gains an unusual level of power in the USFL. His fellow owners give him the green light to negotiate a new TV deal undermining the role of Commissioner Simmons. Trump takes his new authority and runs with it. He creates a pretend publicist named John Barron to hype up the USFL's interest in moving to fall. Barron is, in fact, Donald Trump with a disguised voice. He spends his days calling newspapers. This is John Barron. I'm a publicist working for Donald Trump. I love your work, so I wanted to give you early access to a good story. Listen, Mr. Trump has big plans for the USFL, and they involve a move to fall and a direct battle with the NFL. Now, you can use me as a source, but not by name, okay? And I can probably get Mr. Trump on the phone for an interview, too, if, if you'd like. Hmm, interesting. If Trump can confirm this, that would be great. Thanks, John. No problem. I'll have Mr. Trump call you within the hour. Donald Trump's next move is to reach out to the reporter. Hey, so John Barron said I should call you. What were you guys talking about? Uh, Well, John and I spoke just on background, and he said uh, fall is looking more and more likely. I, I don't want to speak for John, but I can't disagree. The next day, readers learned about the USFL's increasingly inevitable move to fall. And the news has to be true, right? Because it's bolstered by on-the-record quotations from Donald Trump, as well as an anonymous source. Chicago White Sox owner Eddie Einhorn gets in on the action, too. 
He's interested in buying the USFL's new Windy City franchise, and he's a pal of Trump's. Together, Trump and Einhorn spend a lot of time calling network executives one by one, gauging their interest in televising fall United States Football League games. We're moving to the fall. Would you put our games on TV? The network executive doesn't have time to beat around the bush. No. Why not? Because there's another league in the fall. It's called the NFL. Trump tells the other owners that ABC will pay $30 million, double what it's paying now, if the league moves to the fall. His claim is completely untrue. April 15th, 1984. The New York Times runs a story with the headline, USFL Envisions Fall Schedule Beginning in 1987. The article cites an anonymous source as saying, quote, It's the only logical way for the league to continue. There's virtually no chance it's not going to happen, close quote. It's obvious to everyone inside the USFL just who provided that tip. And though his fellow USFL owners are aware of Trump's antics, they feel increasingly paralyzed by his efforts. He's loud, he's bombastic, he's bullying, he's wealthy. He owns the headlines. His New Jersey-based team, big market, major TV numbers, is a market the USFL can't do without. USFL owners are constantly walking on eggshells. Before long, their mantra morphs from we're a spring league into maybe we're a spring league to we're likely moving to fall. Finally, in August of 1984, after the second season has ended, the handful of owners with enough guts to take on Trump decide to construct a blockade. Or, you could say, a concrete wall. For $600,000, the USFL commissions the management consultant firm McKinsey & Company. They want the agency to produce a lengthy and detailed study on the demographics of switching to a fall schedule. Most of the owners are certain the results will scream unambiguously, do not switch seasons and go head-to-head with the NFL. And lo and behold, the results scream unambiguously, do not switch seasons and go head-to-head with the NFL. It would, after all, be suicide. August 21st, 1984, the Hyatt Regency Hotel in Chicago. The USFL's owners are gathered inside a conference room to finally hear the results of the McKinsey study. Yesterday, the New York Times ran yet another Trump-generated piece with a headline, USFL set for fall play in 86. The league's chiefs collectively groan. Trump sits next to his peers, totally comfortable with the preposterous headline that seems to hover over them. McKenzie executive Sharon Patrick stands before the table and unloads. Our studies show spring football can work, and your original ideas, untraditional markets, fund promotions, regional alliances, it's so smart. It really is. But you lack unity. You don't have a common goal, and these stories talking about fall are not helping. Thanks to all the sniping, the conflicting headlines, nobody seems to trust the USFL's long-term sustainability. Many in the room nod in agreement. 
It's a painful truth that makes sense. John Bassett, the owner of the Tampa Bay Bandits, jumps in. So what are you suggesting? It's pretty simple. You need to stay in spring and establish credibility, at least for the 1985 and 1986 seasons, and perhaps even longer. Then, after enough time, maybe you'll be strong enough to switch seasons, but not until then. Any questions? She looks around, trying to make eye contact with the owners, who sheepishly look down or out the window. She waits and waits and waits. Not a word spoken. Donald Trump, arms crossed, is scowling at her. After some polite thanks and handshakes, Patrick leaves. Trump stands up, slamming his fist into the table. Bullshit! This report is bullshit, and I'll tell you what, if you all want to stick with spring, you're going to do it without me. He pauses, looking around the room. The fall is where it's at. We've been talking to the different networks, and they love the idea of televising our games. But only in the fall, the season of football. This, of course, is a lie. Trump stands before the room and gets ready to deliver his coup de grace. In two years, this league has lost $60 million. $60 million. That number is accurate, but it's what founder David Dixon always predicted. Starting a new sports league means losing dollars before making dollars. The next day, the USFL owners decide to officially vote on the league's future. Will it remain in spring, presumably without a Big Apple-based team and its famous owner? Or will it go on a fall suicide mission? Sitting around the conference table again, they vote by secret paper ballot. One by one, the men fill out slips of paper and deposit them into, of all things, a hat. It's a simple question. Should the USFL move to fall? Chet Simmons, the once mighty commissioner whose power is all but gone, gathers the votes and reads them off. One for fall. Two for fall. Three for fall. One for spring. The USFL's fate is sealed. All but four of the owners support the move. The majority either believe Trump's promises or feel pressured by him. Tampa Bay Bandits owner John Bassett is equal parts dumbfounded and outraged. After the meeting, he corners Trump. You just killed the USFL. I hope you realize that. Trump smiles widely. It's all part of his plan. When Roselle learns of the USFL's decision to relocate seasons, he wastes no time telling his legions what will happen next. He calls an emergency meeting in his office with his top deputies. They're going to sue us. It's a definite. Roselle is convinced the USFL will argue that the NFL has monopolized fall football television, thereby eliminating the USFL's opportunity to compete. The USFL will almost certainly argue that it's a violation of the Sherman Antitrust Act of 1890. A violation of that law, and this is important, triples all damages won in court. If we lose a big decision, we're permanently wounded. A few weeks later... Roselle writes a letter to Simmons and 
leaks it to myriad media outlets. The note has nothing to do with commissioner-to-commissioner communication and everything to do with mounting an early defense. Roselle wants to intimidate the USFL to let Simmons and company know that the National Football League can see what's really happening. Up to this moment, the NFL has held back in fully going after the USFL. They've been afraid of getting sued. But now, Roselle initiates a conference call with the owners. He's changed his tune. It's time to stop being nice. If they want to fight, we'll give them a fight. On October 18, 1984, Bill McSherry, the United States Football League's general counsel, heads to the United States District Court of New York. In his briefcase is a 39-page complaint. The suit accuses the NFL and Roselle of monopolistic practices. The league's exclusive arrangement with the three major networks, ABC, NBC, and CBS, effectively makes it impossible for rival leagues to exist, the argument goes. The USFL is seeking damages of $440 million. Thanks to the Sherman Antitrust Act, that number will automatically snowball to $1.32 billion. Roselle is furious. He knew it was coming, but still $1.32 billion. The number itself is bonkers. Interestingly, USFL Commissioner Chet Simmons feels the same way. Simmons has been marginalized by Trump's outsized role in decision-making. At this point, he's got one foot out the door. He steals a page from Trump's book and turns to the media for cover, holding a press conference. Look, we're the victim of a bully. The NFL is trying to deny us a place at the table. All we want is to be treated fairly. All in all, the USFL's owners and executives feel the lawsuit goes over well in the news media. A case could certainly be made that the NFL worked to snuff out all rivals. Meanwhile, the USFL, even with its financial losses, even with some team relocations and franchise deaths, clearly brought forth a quality product. The USFL might not be quite on par with the NFL, but it isn't all that far away. That night, McSherry, the USFL's general counsel, sleeps soundly. Then, he wakes up the next morning to hell. Donald Trump is about to take full control of the USFL's lawsuit by bringing in an old diabolical friend. Ready for a new ride but not sure where to start? Meet the tool that makes car shopping and financing easier. With Capital One Auto Navigator, you can find a car and get pre-qualified instantly. You'll get your real rate and monthly payment without even impacting your credit score. In fact, it's so simple you might feel like you're taking the easy way out. <laughs> That's because you are. Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms and conditions apply. Find out more at CapitalOne.com slash Autonavigator. Open enrollment is here. While you're shopping around, don't forget to head over to JoinCrowdHealth.com slash fit to find out how CrowdHealth 
can save you 40 to 60% in health care costs each year. CrowdHealth isn't health insurance. It's a modern way to pay medical expenses. CrowdHealth is able to offer amazing prices because of its community of health-conscious members. And for a limited time, my listeners get their first month free. And after you've been a member, CrowdHealth will include a fitness wearable. Just go to joincrowdhealth.com fit, promo code BW. CrowdHealth is not health insurance. It's a community-powered alternative. Terms and conditions may apply. October 19th, 1984, Larchmont, New York. The USFL's head lawyer, Bill McSherry, is asleep in his bedroom when his wife, Betty, shakes his shoulders. Bill, Bill, wake up. You have to see this. She points toward the television, which is tuned to NBC. On the screen are two men sitting next to each other on a couch. They're holding a press conference about the USFL's lawsuit against the NFL. One of them is Donald Trump. I think we have an excellent lawsuit. We have a case of a total monopoly by the NFL, and we expect to be successful in court. We're not doing this for any other reason. The, NFL the other is notorious attorney Roy Cohn. Tie up three networks when they dictate to you you can't play football when the fans want you to play football, when they tie up stadiums with leases uh, so you have no place to play. McSherry looks at his wife, a confused expression crossing his face. Bewilderment shifts to fury. Trump called the press conference out of the blue without telling anyone from the USFL, least of all McSherry. Of all the people Donald can hire as my co-counsel, he gets this sleazeball? The assessment is correct, in part. Cohn is indeed a sleazeball who's known for his ruthless tactics. But Trump hasn't brought him on to serve as McSherry's co-counsel. Cohn will lead the case by himself. It's all his now. Trump's known Cohn since 1973, when Cohn helped defend his family from a housing discrimination suit brought by the government. The Trumps were accused of violating the law by refusing to rent units on the basis of race. Cohn's advice for Trump? Tell them to go to hell and fight the thing in court and let them prove you discriminated. Cohn's claim to fame dates to the mid-1950s, when he represented Joseph McCarthy. Together, they brought down alleged American communists and communist sympathizers. Right now, though, about a dozen reporters listen as Cohn launches into his bombastic, sinister best. He stands, he points, he barks. He snarls. I have proof that the NFL has formed a secret committee with the sole purpose of killing off the USFL. Uh, what, what sort of proof do you have? Obviously, the information was supplied to us, and obviously, when the NFL created this USFL committee, they did not create it for the purpose of going over the airwaves or into newsprint. They didn't expect anybody to know about it. We allege it was done in a clandestine manner. Trump is sitting quietly at Cohn's side. A reporter turns to Trump with a question. Mr. Trump, why are you representing the USFL and not Commissioner Simmons? I have the full backing of the USFL 
to go ahead. As the owner with the biggest team in the biggest market, it's only appropriate. Donald Trump is the key to the USFL success. One day later, the league's owners meet at Amelia Island Plantations, a resort just north of Jacksonville, Florida. The gathering has been planned for months. Only what was supposed to be a run-of-the-mill state-of-the-USFL dialogue is now a what-the-hell-is-going-on-here vent-o-rama. Many of the men arrive with a recent issue of Sports Illustrated in hand. The magazines run a story with a headline, The networks have told the league to drop dead if it insists on moving its 86th season to the fall. Commissioner Simmons knows he's been all but replaced by Trump. He kicks off the meeting with an announcement. Thank you for gathering here today for these important conversations, gentlemen. The time has come for me to leave the league and pursue other avenues. It's been an interesting run, to say the least. And with that, Simmons steps away from the microphone and rushes out the door as quickly as possible. As the day progresses, one by one, owners condemn Trump for his off-the-cuff press conference, for bringing in the awful Roy Cohn, for pretending he's the king of the United States Football League. Owner John Bassett has never held back his opinion of Trump and calls him out again. I'm not a genius, but if I were judging from afar, I'd have to think you're not someone who's looking out for the best interests of the USFL. You're just looking out for the best interest of Donald Trump. And that, sir, is shameful. Trump is nonplussed, and the meeting comes to a close. The United States Football League will play the 1985 season in the spring, then prepare for fall 1986. The league will also move forward with a $440 million lawsuit against the NFL. They'll need a new commissioner, too. And, of course, no matter who that commissioner is, the league now belongs to Donald J. Trump. Next time on Business Wars, the USFL finally has its day, well, month, in court. And it places its future in the hands of one man, Donald Trump. And the NFL is fighting for its life. From Wondery, this is Business Wars. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and we invite you to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You'll find a link on the episode notes if you tap or swipe over the cover art. You'll also see some offers from our sponsors. You can support our show by supporting them. And if you like what you've heard, it would be awesome if you could give us a five-star rating and tell your friends how to subscribe. There's another way you can support us. Go over to Wondery.com survey and answer a few short questions. And don't forget to tell us what business war stories you'd like to hear. A quick note about the conversations you've been hearing. We can't know exactly what was said, but this dialogue is based on our best research. I'm your host, David Brown. Jeff Perlman wrote this story. Karen Lowe is our senior producer and editor. Emily Frost edited this story. Our editor and producer is Jenny Lauer Beckman. Sound designed by Bay Area Sound. Our executive producer is Marshall Louie, created by Hernan Lopez for Wondering.
Hey, grown-ups, it's Guy Raz and Mindy here from Wow in the World. As you may have heard, kids over the age of five are now eligible to receive the COVID-19 vaccine. And for some kids, that news is a big relief. But for others, that news brings a lot of anxiety and questions. Questions like, will it hurt? What's going to happen? And will it give me a tail? We'll answer a lot of your questions in our new episode of Wow in the World. And spoiler alert, Mindy, the vaccine does not give you a tail. Oh, man! Join us as we learn about the science behind the COVID-19 vaccine and encourage our friend to overcome his fear of shots to get vaccinated, too. Because while we know that shots can be scary, we also know that science is amazing. Listen to this special episode of Wow in the World wherever you get your podcasts November 22nd. Right now on Amazon Music or ad-free when you subscribe to Wondery Plus Kids through Apple Podcasts.